more serious. We're going through for the guys that uh, just joining us or you haven't been here. Um, love that you're with us. We're, you're catching us um, coming to the end of a series through the book of Judges. Um, and uh, we're, so we're going to try as uh, we're going to try and do the we're going to try and do the story of Samson in one Sunday. Uh, mainly because we want to we want to bring the book to a close next Sunday and then just bring it all together the Sunday after that. That's one reason. The second reason is is that it is it it just is it needs censored. It just is. It's, it's an R, an R rating or an 18 rating uh, story as you're going to come across. And, uh, and so we want to, not that we want to avoid all of, the, all of the nasty stuff, not that we want to be people that have our eyes blinkered to, to all the stuff that's not so pretty. But we want to look at uh, some things. I think there's uh, three... There really is three or four things that I want to pull out of these chapters today that I just really felt the Lord stir in my heart all week. And uh, so really quickly, let me, let me just say, we finished off last, uh, last Sunday morning um, bringing the story of Jephthah to a close. Jephthah was the eighth judge that we've, that we've mentioned throughout this uh, throughout this series and uh, there was a lot of things that we that we talked about a lot of things a lot of challenging things that we engaged with in the story of Jephthah but ultimately what we wanted to say about this man was that there is no there was no upbringing there was no background background that disqualifies from God being able to use you there's no background there's no upbringing that disqualifies you from being used by God to bring rescue, to bring deliverance to his people. The wonderful testimony of, uh, of that reality. Uh, but as we've seen from a number of weeks back in the story of Gideon, we've seen that uh, Israel, it's, it becomes increasingly clear that Israel has become its own worst enemy. And uh, so with, as, we, as we follow the cycle the whole way from beginning, it was the oppression of the enemy that caused Israel to cry out. But now we're beginning to see that their, their biggest problem is from within. It's the fight that takes place from within. And that's why I found some of the, some of the closing uh, parts of the book of Judges that much more difficult. Because it's, it's, it's the fight that takes place within the children of Israel within God's people, that is, it's really hard to stomach. And I, and I, feel, and I, and I, and I feel it as strongly today as, as any type of fighting that takes place from within. Those of us, no matter what our expression, all of us come with different expressions of, of uh, faith, different upbringings, non-church, Catholic church, Baptist, Presbyterian, whatever it is. But we come under the banner of knowing and putting our faith in Jesus. We're part of the one family. And as we talked about in Wednesday, Jesus is not ashamed to call us brothers. He's not ashamed to say that we're part of his family. And to watch that, how we can tear each other apart is, is, really, is really difficult to watch sometimes. And, you know, we didn't, we didn't pick this up 
last last week, but I'm, I'm just aware that at the end of coming towards the, the the end of Judges 12, the fighting takes place with the the people of Ephraim, and the people that Jephthah is leading. This is a fight that takes place within the the the, the, the people of God within the children of Israel and. And they're asked the question, and if they don't pronounce it right, they end up being condemned. In this instance, they end up losing their life. But sometimes we see that even played out today in the church. That if we don't talk the same way, if we don't, if we don't speak exactly the same way as our, our brother in the Lord, then we're condemned. There's a condemnation for those who don't sound like just like us. They don't speak exactly the same way that we speak. And we see the consequences of that in the story uh, at the end of Judges chapter 12. We're introduced at the end of chapter 12 to the, to the ninth, the tenth, and the eleventh judge. Um, Ibzan, Elon, and Abdon. And three things just to remark around these uh, these judges is that it, it looks like they're 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 living on living on the legacy that Gideon left behind. And so they're living like kings. They're living like kings, and they're using their position to increase their own status. They're using their their position to boost their own personal profile. And all of that's bad enough, but the reality of it is that in all three of these guys. There is no record of Israel being saved. There's no record of Israel being rescued. And so there, so it's the story of Jephthah and these three questionable characters that we now enter into the um, the story of Samson. And so let me, I just would love to read the first part of this. I'd love us to read this together. Judges chapter 13. And then we'll pick up some things from 14, 15, and 16. But let's, uh, let's read chapter 13 together. Again the, Israelites did, again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And so the Lord delivered them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. A certain man of Zorah named Manoah from the clan of the Danites had a wife who was sterile and remained childless. The angel of the Lord appeared to her and said, You are sterile and childless, but you're going to conceive and have a son. Now say to it that you drink no wine or other fermented drink, that you do not eat anything unclean, because you will conceive and give birth to a son. No razor may be used on his head, because the boy is to be a Nazarite, set apart to God from birth, and he will begin the deliverance of Israel from the hands of the Philistines. Then the woman went to her husband and told him, A man of God came to me. He looked like an angel of God, very awesome. I didn't ask him where he came from, and he didn't tell me his name. But he said to me, you will conceive and give birth to a son. Now drink no wine or other fermented drink, and do not eat anything unclean. Because the boy will be a Nazarite of God from birth until the day of his death. Then Manoah prayed to the Lord, O Lord, I beg you, let the man of God you sent us to come again to teach us how to bring up the boy who is to be born. God heard Manoah, and the angel of God came again to the woman while she was out in the field, but her husband Manoah was not with her. The woman hurried to tell her husband, he's here, the man who appeared to me the other day. 
Manoah got up and followed his wife. And when he came to the man, he said, Are you the one who talked to my wife? I am, he said. So Manoah asked him, When your words are fulfilled, what is to be the rule for the boy's life and work? The angel of the Lord answered and said, Your wife must do all that I have told her. She must not eat anything that comes from the grapevine, nor drink any wine or other fermented drink, nor eat anything unclean. She must do everything I have commanded her. Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, We would like you to stay until we prepare a young goat for you. The angel of the Lord replied, Even though you detain me, I will not eat any of your food. But if you prepare a burnt offering, offer it to the Lord. Manoah did not realize that it was the angel of the Lord. Then Manoah inquired of the angel of the Lord, What is your name so that we may honor you when your word comes true? And he replied, Why do you ask my name? It is beyond understanding. Then Manoah took a young goat together with the grain offering and sacrificed it on a rock to the Lord. And the Lord did an amazing thing while Manoah and his wife watched. As the flame blazed up from the altar towards heaven, the angel of the Lord ascended in the flame. Seeing this, Manoah and his wife fell with their faces to the ground. And when the angel of the Lord did not show himself again to Manoah and his wife, Manoah realized that it was the angel of the Lord. We are doomed to die, he said to his wife. We have seen God. But his wife answered, if the Lord had meant to kill us, he would not have accepted a burnt offering and grain offering from our hands, nor shown us all these things, nor or now told us this. And the woman gave birth to a boy and named him Samson. And he grew, and the Lord blessed him. And the Spirit of the Lord began to stir him while he was in Mahana Dan, between Zorah and Eshtel. Father, thank you for your word. Um, and we, we want to engage with it as faithfully as possible. We want to engage with it, and that we, we're, we're praying, we're asking for each one of us self-included that you would that you would uh, that you would just have the affection of our hearts and the attention of our minds today god we want to we want to hear what it is that you want to teach thank you that you remain the same thank you that you are committed to your covenant people you're committed to rescue you're committed to deliverance you're committed to to grace and mercy and unfailing love Thank you that we see that surprisingly in this story. I pray that you would help us to continue to see it in our own lives and our own experiences. In Jesus' name. Amen. Samson, the twelfth judge, the last of the the last of the judges we're going to look at. The last of God's appointed uh, judges. And so the the start of the story is that there's been 40 years. It's a long time. 40 years that the, that the people of God, that the, that the Israelites have been oppressed. The Philistines cruelly oppressed for 40 years. I suppose the sad thing is that in every other judge, in every other story, that there, there was one. They might not always have been perfect. They might not always have been ones that we would have picked, but there was ones that were found to respond to the call. Whenever the cry was raised, God would send a deliverer to rescue. But it almost feels like there's a, there's a whole generation. In a whole generation, uh, there is not one found to be able to rescue. There's not one found that can be used to rescue, to bring about the deliverance and the freedom for God's people, for the oppression that they are under. 
And so we're, we're told the story of Manoah and his wife. It's the only judge that's chosen before being conceived. It's the only one that's been set apart from birth. There's other times where we see that. We see it uh, in Jeremiah. Jeremiah set apart. Even before he was conceived, he was set apart to be a prophet unto the nation. And, uh, and just for, just for, there's a couple of things that I, wanna, I want us to see. And that's why I wanted to read the whole of uh, chapter 13. Because there's something I want us to see in, the, in uh, Manoah's wife. And then there's something I think that we can learn from the response of Manoah. We have, uh, for those of us that have uh, engaged with the entirety of Scripture, we'll have seen that this is, a, this is a pattern that has played out several times throughout the Old Testament and even, even in the New. A barren woman, married but sterile, childless, barren, barren woman. And uh, we, we, it, it, we, we go back and we think of Sarah. And we go back and we think of Rachel. And we, uh, we don't go back, but we step forward and we see Hannah, the story of Hannah, cried, wept out before the Lord because she was barren, she was childless. And then we see it in, new, in the opening pages of the New Testament in Elizabeth, John the Baptist's mom. We see it ultimately, more famously, most beautifully in Mary. And I, think, and I just found as I was reading over this the last couple of days, that there's, there's, there's real parallels to, to Mary. There's real parallels actually between this story and, and the story of Jesus. It may be a pale shadow, but I think there's some parallels that we'll see in this story that point us forward to the true judge, to the true saviour, to the only one who could fully, truly rescue and that's Jesus. But Mary was, uh, was told something similar as Samson's mom, as the Manoah's wife. The angel of the Lord comes and says, you're going to give birth to a boy, and it's going to be him that's going to bring about the deliverance of Israel. In the start of the first chapter of Luke, Mary is told something similar. You're going to give birth to a son, and it's going to be through him that, that Israel is going to know rescue. And I love the response of Mary. We're not far from Christmas. We're going to become familiar, re-familiarize herself with that story once again. And, but I love, I love the line that Mary, Mary just believed. She believed that what she was told was going to come to pass. And, and I think we see that in the story of Manoah's wife. She went to her, she went to her husband, told him what was going to happen. And even towards the end, the last few verses that we read in chapter 13, we see Manoah was panicking. We've seen, it this, we've seen this in Gideon's story. Gideon had, had seen the Lord. And he knew that back in Exodus 33, that it said that anyone who sees, sees God will, is going is, is to die. And Manoah is freaking out, panicking. We are doomed to die it was all along it was the angel of the lord it was god and it was god that was appearing to us we're going to die and manoah's wife is like no why would he came and have told us this why would he have came and made this promise why would he have come and revealed himself to us if we were really going to die and it's and it's her response of faith it's her and even though she's unnamed 
she's unnamed in this story, but I think there's something significant about uh, what she's teaching us or what she reminds us. And really simply, I think, because of the, 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 her, she was sterile and childless, it reminds us once again that God is a God of the impossible. God is a God that is, is, uh, is involved in, in all of our heartache and all of our heartbreak. He's involved in it. He cares about it. And he truly is a God of the impossible. I was, remi- I was reminded of that verse, uh, Romans 4, even as the guys were singing. Um, Romans 4, he gives life. He gives life to the dead and calls things that are not as though they are. He gives life where there's death and calls things that are not as though they are. He's a God of the impossible, I think. Manoah teaches, Manoah's wife reminds us of that and teaches us to something like what Mary said, let it be as your servant has said. Circumstances, the, the, the spiritual condition of the people, the spiritual condition of the people is horrendous. We've faced years of oppression and even in my own personal barrenness, yet she remains confident that God is going to do what he said. She remained confident that God was going to do what she said. And she was not dictated to by the, by the, the condition of the Israelites. She was not going to be turned by her, her own personal barrenness. She had heard from God and she was confident that he was going to do what he said. There must have been still enough of the story that she'd held on to. Even after 40 years of oppression even after how, how far we find that God's people had removed themselves from his call and his purpose and his destiny and his ways, that still there was something that caused her to believe. There's something that still caused her to believe that he truly was still a God of the impossible and she remained confident that he would do what he said. And I, and actually, do I found over the, over the last few days, maybe because it was the... The wives were all away. Uh, I think Manoah thought to himself, he, his wife comes back and said, I've just, I've just encountered something. I've heard something. I think it was the angel of the Lord. And I think Manoah it was like, no way. He couldn't have came and told it to a woman. He couldn't have came and told it to my wife. He needs to tell me. He'll not take it serious until he tells me. And... Uh, he must, be, he must have been thinking to himself, it's me that the angel of the Lord should be meeting with. And so, so Manoah prays. And then we have, it's a lovely line at verse 9, God heard Manoah. God heard Manoah and he responded. He responded, but I, I was just finding myself, maybe this, is, maybe this is stupid, but I just found myself getting, being entertained by thinking, maybe I got too much inside the story, thinking Manoah was almost upset he was almost offended that, that the message would come to his wife or that it would come to a, a woman. It wouldn't come directly to him. And so he makes an appeal to the Lord to come again just in case she missed it, just in case she didn't fully get it. And, uh, and so God hears and he responds. He sends the angel of the Lord again. And verse 9, verse 9 tells us that he sent, sent the angel of the Lord again to the woman while she was out in the field. And Manoah was not there. And uh, 
And I just I, I don't know whether it's the it's the writer. I don't know whether it's the the, the person that was the author of this book does this on purpose. But it's almost I find it entertaining that Manoah is so upset that he wants God to come, and so he sends but he sends him again to Manoah's wife out on her own. Manoah was not with her. And then he's just told the same thing. The angel of the Lord answers and says, your wife must do all that I have already told her. But there's one thing that I want us to pick up. There's one thing that I would love us to see in the story of Manoah. Manoah wants the angel to come back so they can give them more information on how to bring the boy up. And so so God here sends the angel again. Manoah's wife comes and gets him. And Manoah asks, when your words are fulfilled, what is to be the rule for the boy's life? Give me some more information on how we can bring the boy up. And for me, I don't fully know how I want to land this, but, but Manoah wants more information. And, and as we get towards the end of chapter 13, we see that God just wants to reveal himself. And I don't know if you've ever found yourself in that place. I know for me, I've, I've been in that place so many times that I want more information, that I come before God with, in, in, in a time of prayer and, and I'm wanting more information and forgetting that he wants to simply reveal himself. And I think that's what's going on here. He comes looking more regulations. God gives a revelation of who he is. We find ourselves in that place. God, tell us what to do next. Give me more information. Give me more rules. Lay down some regulations here so that I know that I'm doing it right. That I know that I'm making, that the next step to take is the right one. Give me more information. Give me more rule. Give me more regulations and all along God's just like I just want to reveal myself I just want to give you myself and I'm and I'm still wrestling with this I'm still getting getting to that place of realizing that we we need to know him and his character so much more than we need information and I, and I love I I love the word I hope you know that but he, but all along we we go to it looking looking for more, more information. But all along he wants us to just to know him, to know his character, to know who he really is. There's an author that says has said that we don't need to know about God through external standards when we can know him through his spirit. We don't need to know about God through external standards when we can know him through his spirit so there's two things that I, that I offer as, as, as reflection on chapter 13 as a reflection on Manoah's wife and a reflection on Manoah himself and just to remind you and encourage you he wants to reveal himself so much more to you than he just wants to give you more information he wants you to remain confident that in spite of the condition, the spiritual condition around you and your own personal barrenness that, that, that you would remain confident that what he has said, he will do. 
So we get to chapter 14. We get to chapter 14, 15, and 16, and we just... And Samson, he is violent. He is impulsive. He is selfish. He is... He's immature. He's sexually addicted. He's all of them things. And it's shocking. And it... It almost feels disappointing that this is the one that's going to be, this is the one that's going to be used to to bring about a rescue. This is the one that's going to be used to bring about the freedom of God's people, and that's what seems even more disappointing. It seems, or seems even more shocking is that that it that it's the spirit of God. There's times that it seems that the spirit of God seems to anoint and to use his fits of temper and pride. Fourteen. Verse 6 tells us that the Spirit of the Lord came upon him so that he tore the lion apart with his bare hands. Verse 19 tells us that the Spirit of the Lord came upon him in power and he went and struck down 30 men and took all of their stuff, all of their clothes, burning with anger. 15 verse 14, it's... Philistines came towards him shouting and the spirit of the Lord came upon him as, upon him in power and he, with a fresh jawbone, struck down a thousand men. And I mean, trying to engage with this, with Samson, realizing that he's tr- he truly is all of these things. He is violent, immature, sexually addicted. He is so uh, impulsive and and it seems that the Spirit of God is anointing, seems to anoint and even use his fits of temper and pride. And, I, and I'll be honest, I, the first three, three or four days of this week, I'm like, God, what is, what was this all about? What was going on? What were you doing? What were you trying to teach? I will play this out a wee bit more, but I just felt in that moment that God reminded me I think he just wanted to teach me something just as I was trying to wrestle with this in the car. And I felt like even in the car, he just said that the blessing of God is not always an endorsement of your lifestyle. That the, and more than that, the gifts of God. The gifts of God are not an endorsement of your lifestyle. Because we can convince ourselves of that. When things are going well, there seems to be favor to our relationships. There seems to be good stuff happening within our, within, within our whatever sphere of influence we find ourselves in. And we convince ourselves that even there might be a couple of things that we do that are a bit shady, that are a bit, a bit compromised. We're sort of compromising. We're experiencing favor. We're experiencing blessing. There's money in the bank and with good health and all of that. And, and we trick ourselves to believing that the, that the blessing of God or his gifts are an endorsement for the way that we're living. And as I continued to, to try and wrestle with the Lord in this, I felt that he was saying to me, and I felt like maybe saying to some of us or all of us, that it's possible to have the gifts without the fruit. It's possible to have the gifts of the Spirit that are mentioned and not have the fruit. And for me, I'm like almost, well, that sounds good. 
is that me or is that you, God? You know those moments. And, uh, and I felt like straight away he reminded me of the, the letter that Paul read to the, to, the, to the church in Corinth. And 1 Corinthians tells us, reminds us of the incredible things that were taking place. The, the, the expression of the gifts of the Spirit were in full operation. Healing and tongues and prophecy. And they had convinced themselves, the church at Corinth had convinced themselves, convinced themselves that, 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 the, that the operation of the gifts was, was a, the endorsement of God for how they were living. And you read some of the ways that they were living, or the ways that they were treating each other. I felt like it was, it was that moment that I realized, yeah, God, this, is, this is you, God. This is, you're, you're teaching me something here, that it's possible to have the gifts but yet lack the fruit. And I think that, that when it comes to this, to this conversation, it's fruit. It's the fruit that's found in Galatians 5 that is the proof, is the true indicator of growth. True indicator of, of where you're at in your understanding of God. Where you're at in your understanding of how he has revealed himself. I think fruit is the proof of growth. It's a real indicator. I think prayer is an indicator. Prayer is, a, is, a, is an indicator of growth and of health. And I don't know who said it, but somebody has said that the health of your church is determined by, by your prayer meeting. Determined by, by uh, how many show up to pray. Because like Samson, it can either be the last resort. Prayer can be the last resort. Or it can be motivated out of selfish desires. Or it can be just that we're wanting to listen. We're wanting to learn. We're wanting to catch that revelation that he so wants to bring. I think something around community or love for one another or love for our neighbor is an indicator of growth. It's a proof of growth. See, like Samson, Samson the whole way through this is on his own. He is a one-man band. He is... He has committed himself to to remaining in isolation. He's not letting anybody get too close. He's not going to give himself away to anybody. He remains alone. He fights on his own. He gets into all sort of stuff on his own against the advice of his mum and dad, against just all that's going on. He's left on his own. Or we can be ones that will love him love God and love our neighbor and pursuing his kingdom to come. I think there's more that we can talk around the proof of growth, an indicator of growth. But I encourage you not to fall into the trap of just because you're gifted, just because you have gifts, that it is a sign of his endorsement. It's a sign of his approval of the way that, that you're living. story um, continues uh, with Samson's marriage to a Philistine woman. Things ended off so well in chapter 13 that, he, that, the, that Samson grew and the Lord blessed him and the, and the spirit of the Lord began to stir him. And as, he, and as he, we don't know what happened. We don't know what happened in that in-between time. We don't know what what the involvement or what, 
how his mum and dad were teaching him, how they were bringing him up with the reminder that he's been set apart from birth. You're a, you're a Nazarite. You're not to touch any drink. You're not to touch any dead thing. But here our introduction to him is that he wants a Philistine woman as his wife. And then he presents, he presents this, this riddle. He, he's so impulsive. He presents this riddle. He's almost like such a gambler. He, he, he lays out this, this bet. And if they, if, they get, if they answer his riddle, he'll give them 30 linen garments and 30 sets of clothes. But if they don't get it right, they have to give him something. And because of his, because of his impulse, because of his, his lack of self-control, he, he gives in to his wife and she tells the people the answer to the riddle. And then he just gets angry. And he continues to get angry. He continues to be impulsive and violent and immature. And then we get to, we, we get to, to meet some other of the Israelites and we get an insight into what's going on. In chapter 15, the Philistines were coming after, were coming after Samson. They went up and they camped in Judah. And the men of Judah asked the Philistines, why have you come to fight us? And they say that we've come to take Samson prisoner, they answered, to do to him as he did to us. And the men knew where Samson was. And so the 3,000 men from Judah went down to the cave in the rock of Etam and said to Samson, don't you realize that the Philistines are rulers over us? What have you done to us? And the story continues. But I remember reading that. I almost feel the same as, as I read it at the start of the week. The men of Judah, the people of God, those that God had called and set apart to reveal his character and his nature to the rest of the nations are now saying that the Philistines rule over us. We have so given ourselves to them that they are the ones who rule over us. And so they end up tying Samson up and handing him over to the Philistines. It's really, really challenging to read this how far the people have, have slipped from where we began at the, in Judges 1, the closing part of Joshua 24. Go and take the land. You're ready to step into your inheritance. But we talked about, we've talked the whole way through this series about the problem of idols and the danger of giving ourselves to idolatry. And, and last week we talked about idolatry leading to enslavement. The thing that we give ourselves to, whether it's alcohol or drugs or possessions or man's approval, it ends up enslaving us. But the problem we get, it, it goes even further now. It's gone even further that there's now no resistance to their enslavement. There is no resistance to their enslavement. And so the men of Judah would rather live at peace with the enemy than, than face confrontation with the enemy. And I'm, in, I'm in, 
engaging with that this week and, and realizing that the men, that today even we would, there's a temptation and sometimes we give in to the temptation to live at peace with the world because we're so fearful of confronting it. We've become so at peace with the world that we don't want the confrontation. We're happy to let them rule over us. We're content to follow their patterns. We're content to worship the same things that they worship. We're content to give ourselves to the same things that the world gives itself to. And, I, and I'm, I'm wanting to, I, I feel like I really want to provoke you with this because I, I'm, I'm, I'm so provoked by this thought that can we say, I'm not, I don't know if I'm there to just to, to make this statement full on without some level of, of engagement or some level of you wrestling it along, along with me. But can we say that if there is no conflict, that it's because the world has taken over? If there is no confrontation in your life, if there is no conflict in your life with the things of the world, is it because that it's taken over? And you haven't even realized You've almost become unconscious to it. The same as the men of Judah were. And, and I, I, I don't, I'm not even sure what examples to offer. But there are certain things that we, that, that, that we watch on TV. There are certain films that we are entertained by. And there's something in me that, that thinks if there is no confrontation there, if there is no conflict with what we're allowing ourselves to watch and be entertained by, can we say it's because the world has taken over? with our time, if there's no conflict, if there's no confrontation with how you're using your time or prioritizing your time, is it because we've allowed the world to take over? We've allowed them to step in and almost, maybe not as obviously, but we're pretty much saying that the Philistines have ruled over us. The world has taken over. We didn't even realize it. We kept on giving ourselves to their gods. We kept on giving ourselves to their priorities, to their to their ways, to their things. And it just becomes a deep concern of mine. It becomes a deep concern of mine as a husband and as a father, as a friend, as a leader, that, that I could run the risk of, of living a life without any conflict, without any confrontation with the world because I'm just living at peace with it. And I want to get on well with people. I want to be able to present people the message of Jesus. But I want to present it to them because I look different. Because things have started to, to look different in my life. So encouraged to, for a few minutes to sit with Adrian today, this morning. And, 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 and for people to acknowledge that, that this week his life has looked different. That there's a different countenance. That there's something going on within him. And that causes a confrontation with the world. What is it? What's going on within you? And my fear is that if I'm not being asked that question, if I'm not in my, in my conduct, in my behavior, in my conversations with people who don't know Jesus, if there's not some sort of confrontation in me or if they're not feeling some sort of conflict within their own lives, I, I, I want to ask myself some questions. Is it because the world has taken over? Is it because they have, there's now no resistance to its temptation? And what stuns me in all of this, I, I find myself, especially this week, just wrestling back and forth and back and forth 
Because in Judges chapter 14, verse 4, whenever, whenever Samson says that he wants to marry this Philistine and, and his mom and dad are saying, is there not anybody else? Is there not anybody else that you can find? Is there not one among our own people? Is there not one among all of our people? Must you go to the uncircumcised to get a wife? And Samson said to his father, get her for me. She's the right one for me. Even that, even that way that, that Samson was speaking to his dad was horrific in these days. But anyway, and if it's your Bible's the same as mine, it says in brackets that his parents did not know that this was from the Lord because he was seeking an occasion to confront the Philistines. And there's part of me whenever I come to verses like that that I'm like, oh my goodness, how do you, how do you work that out? How do you navigate through that? And, but I think there's something in this that, that, that I that Again, it was another reminder, constant reminder throughout the book of Judges that he is constantly committed. He remains unconditionally committed to keep his covenant promise. And even in all that's going on here, even what, how far the men of Judah have removed themselves from the, the calling and the destiny that was written over their lives, even how, how far Samson has removed himself from the Nazarite vow that he was called to, to live out, God, in his mercy, in his goodness, remains unconditionally committed to his covenant promises. And so he, we, we talked last week with Jephthah that he uses, that God will use anyone from any background. He can raise up, no matter what your upbringing, no matter what your background, he, there's no one disqualified from being used by him. And that's incredible. But then I'm reading Samson's story. I'm, I'm reading this chapter 14 verse 4 where it just, it just rests it just it just jars that he was told the way that he was to live and now he's going to marry the very people that he was told not to marry but we're unaware that God was creating this to happen God was behind this happening and can we say that God even will use our sinfulness to bring about deliverance He'll even use the sinfulness of Samson to bring about the rescue and the deliverance of God's people. Because he does, because God in his, in his wisdom does whatever it takes to prize these two nations apart. They become so interlocked that they don't realize it. And this is what, uh, this is what Michael Wilcox says. He says about, um, about what's going on here in, in the time of, uh, of Samson that the two communities are so interlocked that even the Lord uh, can find nothing to get hold of to prize them apart and so he uses Samson's weakness to bring about the relationship with this irresistible girl from which so much ill feeling will flow and so it seems that that God will even use, he'll do whatever it takes. He'll do whatever it takes to remain committed to the covenant promise that he's made with his people. And so he could find no other way to prize these nations apart. And so he uses, he uses the weakness in Samson to fall for this irresistible girl. And then in the midst of that, the nations are pulled apart. 
They're pulled apart because of this, this fight that takes place, because of the war that Samson goes and takes. And it's nothing new, actually. And I think this is another parallel that we can make with the story of Jesus. We can make the parallel with Jesus in chapter 15 when, when Samson comes to his own, but his own didn't receive him. In fact, his own gave him over. His very own gave him over to be crucified, to be killed. And the same thing happened with Jesus. He came to his own and it was his own that gave him to be crucified. It was his own that gave him to be put to the cross. And Acts 2 verse 23, it says that, that you, this was Peter was speaking to, Peter was speaking to the crowd. He was speaking to the, to the, to the Jewish people. And he said it was you with the help of wicked men that put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead. It was you with the help of wicked men that put him to death. And so even at the cross, we see that God was able to use man's sinfulness to bring about rescue, to bring about deliverance, to bring about the freedom for his people. And so I think Samson is beginning to point us towards that, not in a great way, but it beginning to point us towards, towards one who will rescue. And man's sinfulness will be, at the cross, will be used to rescue. It's an incredible thought. But for me, it's just this constant reminder of how far he will go, what he will do to remain committed to the people that he so loves. He remains committed to keeping on pouring out mercy and grace and offering them a way to return. Offering the prodigal, offering the wayward son a way to come home. And we get to we get to chapter 16, the famous story of Samson and Delilah. We uh, wrap up with a couple of things here, and, and Jason will come back and finish. I said uh, I was I was looking for a few uh, real life examples this week, and uh, when I was reading through Judges chapter 16, I came to Judges 16 verse 16, and I sent the message around to a few husbands, and asked if you any examples that I can use in Judges 16 verse 16 which says, with such nagging, she prodded him day after day until he was tired to death. And it was f- so many examples. The man sent me so many examples I could, be, I could use this morning of being nagged and nagged until you were tired to death. I'm only joking. Um, the story of, of Samson, and again we see his, we see his impulsive nature. We see one that was, he was just, he was just began to play, he began to play about with Delilah, he began to play about with the Philistines who were looking to capture him. He keeps tricking Delilah into what is the source of his strength. She thinks she knows, and the men of, the, the Philistine men, they come, and he snaps, he snaps the ropes. He snaps the, the fabric or whatever it is and then eventually he can't take it anymore he can't take her nagging he can't take her prodding and so he tells her everything and Delilah went and told went and told the Philistines everything and they came back 
And in verse 19, having put him to sleep on her lap, she called a man to shave off his hair and so began to subdue him and his strength left him. And she called, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. And he awoke from his sleep and thought, I'll go out as before and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. That is one of the saddest verses that I've read in this whole series. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. See, I, I am convinced that Samson began to believe that his strength was, just, was, was simply his. He began to play about. He began to play about with, with Delilah. He began to play about with his, the, the, the very source of his strength. He becomes, he got, becomes so used to it that whenever his hair was shaved and his strength left him, he got up as before. He thought to himself, I'll get up and I'll go out as before. Because he had come to believe that his own that his strength was simply his, and uh, and I don't know if if even this morning you find yourself in that position where there's been no sense of renewal, been no sense of the spirit just coming upon you in a fresh way. So we need that fresh manna. We need him as much today as we as we did when we first said yes to him. But we just get caught up in the routine. We just get caught up in the ongoing routines of life. And we end up convincing ourselves it's, it's, we're doing it in our own strength. As we get up to lead worship, as, we, as I stand here, as the guys do the kids stuff, as you go to your workplace, initially you started out, God, I'm so in need of you as I step into this environment. I desperately need you as I, as, I, as I go and try to be more like Jesus and wherever it is that you've placed me. And you become so used to, the, to your routine. You, be, you become used to not coming before I'm hungry. That you don't even realize that the strength, your strength is not your own. And how horrible it would be that whenever you need to address something, whenever you need him for something, whenever you want to come before him in worship that you didn't even realize that, that he left. And then we have the death of Samson. And again, it's another pointer to Jesus. That Samson, he came and got the, got the young lad to put his hands against the two, against the two pillars while the 3,000 Philistines were partying and making fun and using them as a, as a source of mockery and entertainment. And here for the first time we see Samson praying to the Lord. It's the first time that he exercises any faith. It's maybe this verse that has him again and surprisingly entered into this hall of faith. This hall of fame in Hebrews chapter 11. And here for the first time exercises faith and in his death he kills more than he did while he lived. And it's a shadow, it's a pale shadow granted. But it's a shadow, it's a parallel to, to what Jesus did. That in his death he had the greatest victory over his enemy. Another pointer towards Jesus. 
we uh, as we are, are, are getting to that to get into Christmas, incredible that all along we can see that that there's a shadow, there's a parallel to towards the coming of Jesus, towards our need for a true judge, a true saviour, a true priest, a true apostle, a true Messiah. And in his death, he has the greatest victory over his enemy. And there's so much more that we could say, there's so much more that we could talk about in the story of Samson. But what I, what I want to finish with is, uh, is this final thought. And it was one of those moments, I've come to realize that there's moments whenever I'm reading through the Bible, that, and I've said it before, that the words just jump off the page. It's like I've never seen them before. Or it's like, wow, that's incredible. I've come to realize that there's times whenever that happens, that it's the Holy Spirit that's trying to, he's trying to garner my attention. He's trying to take hold of my thoughts for a moment because he's something that he wants to say. There's something that he wants to do. And I felt like that that's what happened this week. That this that Judges chapter sixteen, verse twenty two was one of those verses that, that just kept pulling me back. As I thought of how we can bring this to a close today. There's I think there's stuff to encourage us, there's stuff to challenge us. There's some stuff in here that grieves us, makes us sad. Some things I think that we can hold to though in the midst of all of that. And one of the things I'd love to hold, that you, for you to hold on to, Samson has had his eyes gouged out. Thank goodness mum's not here this morning. He's had his eyes gouged out. He's left with no sight. He's left with no vision. The enemy is using him to taunt and to mock. And then in verse 22 it says, But the hair on his head began to grow again. And so I, I, I just kept meditating upon that. It's a strange verse to meditate upon. And you're looking at me thinking I was trying to hope there was a prophetic word for me, but that's not. I don't think that's what it was. If it is, Lord, I'll take it. Take all the hair you've got going. But the hair on his head began to grow. And, and so I couldn't help. I couldn't help. I just spent, just spent, I don't know how long I spent, but just praying for you. Praying for all who would be here this morning. Praying for all that are a part of this family and maybe not for all but for some you think you just lost all vision and your, your eyes maybe haven't been gouged out but you've there's a, there's a sense that you just lost lost your way a bit just lost that ability to see really clearly lost your vision and actually for some it's more painful than that I felt the pain for some people that it was that it, it almost feels that the enemy is making fun that he's actually mocking you, he's taunting you. He's displaying you as, look at the state of this, look at how far they've fallen, look at what they've got themselves into. In the midst of all of that, in the midst of all of that pain, in the midst of all of that suffering, in the midst of all of that lack of, where am I going, Lord? I felt that's what he was saying to all of us this morning. But, the hair and the head began to grow again. And the thing about that is that apparently, not the case for us all, but hair grows six inches per year on average, some maybe more than others. 
it's half an inch a month. Well researched, it's 0.01 of an inch a day. You can't, it's, you can't see it. You know, it'll almost be hard to, to believe it's any different from one day to the next or one month to the next because it's so, it's, it can be so insignificant. But there is something significant about when all strength is gone, when all vision is gone, but the hair on the head began to grow again. Strength. The strength begins to come back. The strength that you'd lost, that source of strength that had uh, that you'd given up on, that you felt had given up on you, it's beginning to grow again. So... I don't know who it is, and, and and I think it's more than one. But just as we pray that you would just that you would receive that, you would engage with that, you would that you would let somebody around you pray for you, you would let allow me to pray for you. But I want you to know that the hair is beginning to grow again. That source of strength is being renewed. That strength is being made available once again. And so Jason's going to finish off with this last song, You're My Strength When I'm Weak. And I love how he's show, how Father has shown us the whole way through this, that he, that's where he operates at his best. That's where he uses you in the most beautiful ways when you're at your, when you're at your weakest. And we're just going to sing out to him, Jesus, Lamb of God, worthy is your name. And as we do that, if there's some stuff that you want to you wanna confess or some stuff that you want to get prayed for, allow somebody to do that. Any, anybody?